welcome everybody to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host John Fitzpatrick and joining me for each and every single episode, none other than Alistair Kirschpool, AKP. We're almost through the end of July. How was your weekend? Not too bad. You know, I have to say, I'm a little concerned with the way you do these, this intro, though. You always say each and every episode, what happens if I'm sick or something? Are we going to be lying to the, the listeners? AKP, as someone who grew up in the area, I'm putting the pressure on you to keep the Cal Ripken Jr. streak going. So there will be no days off. You will not miss a single episode, even though next week I might be <laughs> on vacation. So we'll have to talk about that. But yeah, I'm committing you to each and every single episode. Okay, well, no pressure then. <laughs> you know, if Danny Tusitala can play in every single Old Glory game for three and a half years, I think I think I've got this. Yeah, I think you do too. In fact, um, yeah, I think you need to start prioritizing what's important in your life. I don't care about you know what else is going on in your life. You need to be showing up each and every single Monday to talk with me about Old Glory DC rugby for an hour or so. I mean, come on, are we asking that much out of you? Well, I'm going to be in Japan in the fall, so I, we'll have to see whether I call him from Japan. Hey, Glorious Rugby, going international. Let's go. <laughs> and that'll be right around the November tests, so, oh. I mean, we'll have things to talk about. You did bring up a good point, though, because I don't say I'm going to be here for each and every single episode. You're the only one that I call out each no, and every single episode. No, you do say I'm going to be joining you, that I join you for each and every episode, so I can't join you if you're not here. That's a good point. So you're like committing it. yourself as well. I'm not the only one in this. <laughs> All right, AKP, enough silliness. Let's jump into the episode. And hey, let's start off with some breaking MLR news, courtesy of our colleague Brian Ray. He just shared out that there was a trade. You want to hear this? The Toronto Arrows have traded the number two overall pick in the upcoming draft to the Houston Sabercats for fly half Robbie Povey. What do you think of that? Interesting. It's that's an interesting trade. Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot to dig into there because I mean, they've they have had some fly half issues at Toronto. I mean they've got a great fly half in Sam Malcolm. I mean he did he had that I think he had a hat trick this year. There's, there have been points in time where he's scored like every point the Toronto Arrows are scoring, um, but he's gets injured so much. He's he's had a rough time of it recently. So I guess they just want some depth there. Yeah, it's a really fascinating uh, trade. One, I love trades. Like the the more trades that can happen, I'm all for it. It gives us something to talk about in the MLR off season and particularly as we'll talk about with the, the 2023 MLR Collegiate Draft this year. I don't know if there's a clear-cut number one overall quite yet, and we can talk about some of that in a bit here. So I'm all for, you know, the, the, the trading of the swapping of, of draft picks. But, um, you know, for Toronto, certainly want to provide some depth there. But you got to wonder if, if the plans for Toronto include him competing for the starting number 10 jersey. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And, I mean, this goes on to one of our other headlines with Toronto getting rid of their head coach of the last two years. Pete Smith um, had a went 8-8 eight and eight in 2022 and then obviously won only a single game last year with a couple of ties. So, they, I mean, they've gotten rid of him. There have been people who've left the other... other 
key figures in the the Arrows administration who've left, and it really it all sort of looks like they're gearing up for a pretty significant change in attitude and sort of team culture and organizational culture. So, yeah, you know, you brought up a couple of interesting points. One, you know, Peter Smith and unfortunately parting ways with with the Arrows. You got to think that means there's head coach that's probably already part of what's going on in there, right? I don't think you would bring in a brand new head coach. Well, I don't think you would make roster moves without, you know, chatting with who this new head coach is, is going to be because I'm sure the, the new head coach would want to have some say in, in some, some, some personnel moves. So you got to think Toronto's probably announcing a head coach, new head coach here soon. Um, and then the other thing would just be – and this is just kind of speculation, right? But, you know, Toronto's had a tough go of it the past couple of years. And what I mean by that is the simple fact that, you know, every year they've got to start on the road six or seven, you know, games to start the season because it's tough to play, out, you know, rugby outside in, in Canada. And there's concerns, you know, that Toronto, maybe other teams, potentially Atlanta, you know, may there's some current concerns about whether they're going to be around. So maybe I'm taking this as silver lining that's saying, hey, look, Toronto is out here making moves in the off season, building towards the next season, so potentially that that maybe you know downplays any concerns that the arrows are going to fold. And I don't want to suggest that the arrows were in danger of folding, but I, I think there's you know you go on Reddit and people speculate about what's going on with the arrows. So hopefully this is is good news that the arrows are are still planning on, on sticking around for next season. Yeah, let's hope so. And I do you know you do want to see them do better i mean obviously eastern conference rival we only want them to do so well i mean worse than old glory but but still decent you just never want to see a team go on too long of a a bad run obviously i mean someone's got to win every game someone's got to lose every game it's not feasible for every team to go eight and eight every year and it's impossible for every team to go you know 10 and six every year so but you you do want to see them. They've really had a, a tough time of things. You've really seen the team as a whole struggle. And especially with it being the only team in Canada right now, you want to you want to see them do better, bounce back. Yeah, I think that's rugby across the board in North America, right? Like we want the US, USA, the men's Eagles, the men's and women's Eagles to perform well. We also want our counterparts up north to, to perform well. Like, And I think across the board across this region this part of the world you both want canada and u.s playing well that just makes everyone better and legitimizes rugby you know across the pond for for all the haters and the doubters about oh u.s and canada they're no good at it why are we even trying so um you'd want to see the arrows play better in the hopes that also Rugby Canada can perform well. It seems like the, the women's side is getting more resources. They're a top four team in the world. The men, a little bit of a dip here. So, again, I think it's an effort to try and increase the level of play and competition here in, in North America. So Yeah, and um, I, I mean, it's worth noting that part of the problem with Toronto, part of the issue that they've had, they were really good you know, 2019, 2020, they were a really good team. And part of that was because they they had all the best Canadian talent. And now all of the best Canadian talent is spread around the league. I mean, we've arguably got the best Canadian fly half in at Old Glory. We've got one of the better Canadian locks. 
you know, New England, obviously, like half their starting team was Canadian. You've got a bunch of, when you think about the best Canadian players, a lot of them play for, for American teams right now. And that's part of Toronto's problem. But it, it's actually a good thing for Team Canada. You know, Toronto might be struggling, but they're also they're also getting minutes for Canadian players who were, earlier would have been buried under under the some of the top Canadian talent. So, in some ways, it's it's a positive for Team Canada, even if it isn't for for Toronto. You know, they're not the only the Arrows aren't the only team that are looking for some pers- new personnel. The Utah Warriors, a little bit of surprising news last week. Um, I don't know if it was parting ways or they left on their own accord, but general manager Brandon Sparks is no longer there, and same with assistant coach Sean Davies. I think most folks know that Sean Davies um, capped USA Eagle scrum half. You know, interesting news there ahead of a collegiate draft where the Warriors have five picks. AKP, your thoughts on uh, what happened there in Utah? Yeah, it's a weird one because Toronto, you understand. I mean, <laughs> a coach it goes 9-21 and 21 over their, the course of their career, and yeah, that's, that's not, really, not really good enough, and you, you fire them because you want to get back on track. Utah? I mean, they missed the playoffs, but only just, and they were in the stronger conference. They had, uh, what was it, 10 wins last season? They've they've really been pretty good since, you know, since like the pandemic, basically. They've been, they've been a really competitive, really good team. They seem like a team that's comfortable in their culture. When they do lose games, they lose it their way. They lose it because they're playing the sort of rugby that they want to play, and there's risks and they take those risks and you know they're a fun rugby brand it just seems weird to mess with success they're talked about as one of the teams that's that's really been successful and create has a good fan base has created good culture usually has a pretty good team and so i you, you do wonder what what has led to this now maybe it could just be that you know brandon sparks wanted to to leave and Sean Davies maybe wanted to move on to something else. You never know what other, I mean, unless they announce where they're going, it could be that they've got some good job opportunity elsewhere and just want to take a stab at something different. Yeah. I don't think that's the last we've heard of of Sparks or or Davies in MLR. And I think Sparks is pretty well respected around uh, MLR circles. And I think Davies has really proven himself as a coach working with the scrum half, so I'm sure we'll, we'll see them again soon. And, and I've been following on Twitter. It looks like Brandon Sparks is behind Prep Rugby Watch, which is kind of a, like a service to promote high school rugby players to help them play in college. So it'll be interesting to see you know, what he does there with that. But uh, I don't think we've seen the last of Sparks and Davies. No. I think, I mean, Sparks is always, he was involved with the Collegiate Rugby Shield as well. He's, that was sort of, I think, his last act as a, GM of Utah so he I mean maybe he joins like the national setup the USA rugby setup like doing age grade stuff or some sort of development pathway stuff he seems like in some ways a lot of the work he was doing for Utah was so nationally focused so sort of sort of far beyond actual Utah itself that maybe it makes sense for him to move into a role where he has he can affect a, a greater area 
want to talk about one more headline news from over the weekend. And we've talked a little bit about PR7s. There's a few, there's quite a few MLR players running around this summer in PR7s. We have PR7s held their Eastern Conference Finals uh, this past weekend. It was uh, in Pittsburgh. The weather was perfect for it. I was able to catch some of the action. So the headliners women and the locals women have advanced to the PR7s championship. The Steel Toes men, who came back from like a 19-point deficit to win the Eastern Conference Final, they'll be going along along with Team PR. The PR7s championship will be in Washington, D.C. at Audi Field on Sunday, August 6th. But AKP, I think there's a local OGDC connection to the Steel Toes men. Fill us in. Yeah, Steel Toes have our very own John LaFevre on the field, as seen in, in promotional photos on Twitter. So, yeah, it's which is fun for him. You you like to see players, OG, OGDC players, having success on other fields and doing interesting things in their offseason. We've had OGDC players in PR7s before, and it seems like a great experience, and especially for John LaFevre, who... You know, MLR season, he got stuck behind Danny Tusatal a lot of the time, and so him getting a chance to, to run around and actually play seem, seems like a great thing. And I'm excited that he's going to be in D.C. and get to see him on the field. Another player I got to shout out, and this is only because of a, a high school connection. So Jetta Owen, she plays for the local sevens. I believe I have that right. Her dad... Uh, played rugby for Rocky Gorge, a local men's club team here. I think they have a women's squad too. I could be wrong on that. But um, he was my high school wrestling coach. And he always wanted me to play rugby. I eventually started playing club rugby in college, but his daughter, Jetta Owens, is on the local sevens, and they will be in Washington, D.C. for the PR Sevens Championship. So if you're listening out there, Tom Owens, I hope to catch up with you and your crew on Sunday when it happens. So, but hey. AKP, let's move on to some, maybe controversial, I don't know, I don't want to say it's controversial, but Major League Rugby released their all-MLR team. So their first 15, their second 15, and I, I believe the last one is the honorable honorable mention. I don't know why I can't say that, but honorable mention. So as you can imagine, uh, San Diego and New England had quite a few players selected to that first 15. In fact... They had nine players make up the first 15. Are you surprised by that when you saw that? No. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it does make sense, right? The, the two top teams, of course, meeting in the MLR final. They had 18 out of the 45 overall across our, all three squads. And I will note that Major League Rugby this week will be releasing their the player of the year, I think, the coach of the year, back of the year, forward of the year, something like that. So we'll be seeing some more player honors this year. But AKP, we had a few Old Glory DC players make those three teams. Some that missed it, but we'll talk about that in a second. Call out the the players, the OG DC players that made those those um, all MLR teams. Yeah, Jack Iscaro uh, making the selection at the making the first 15 at Loosehead Prop. Kyle Bailey making, at Locke, making the, the second team. And then Jamison Fanana Schultz making the third team. Surprisingly, at Flanker instead of at 
at number eight, but I think that's just because they wanted to get him in there one way or another, and he did play some games at flankers, so <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was a little uh, hijinks there, but that's fine by me. Look, a couple of words about Jack. One, um, I thought he had a great season. Good for him to be honored there in the first 15. Again, great young player, and I think, you know, hopefully a long local boy, right, in, in for old glory and certainly a, a bright future ahead of him. Continuing on with the men's eagle. Everyone knows that Kyle Bailey is this podcast's favorite Canadian, right up there with Grady. But when 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 Kyle came on, that was basically halfway through the season. I mean, think about it. He made the second team based off of just half of a season. You know, with his old crusty demeanor out there and that mustache. I mean, <laughs> I will say, I don't think Kyle heard it. But AKP, we were both at that last home game. It was the only game I was able to attend in person. But when Kyle Bailey was subbed off, um, I think around the 60th minute or so, he was running off the field. You know, you saw the crowd stood up, gave him a standing ovation. I shouted out, Kyle, you're my favorite Canadian. It got a laugh with the folks around us. But it's true. Kyle Bailey, favorite Canadian, well-deserved honor, probably could have made the first 15. And we'll talk about that in a second. And, of course... Jamma playing probably hurt most of all season. Nice to select him for the honorable mention. Could have probably been up there higher, but they were some dynamite flankers and and an eight man in MLR this season. Hard to hard to put him in that first fifteen, but certainly worthy of some call outs there. But AKP. The Dallas Jackals, they had three picks, two in the first 15 on a team that won, what, two games this year? Yeah, yeah, that that's the thing that, that took me a bit by surprise. I mean, they were much better this year. They certainly had talent on the roster in a way that they didn't last year. But they had three picks. So for context, um, D.C. also had three picks. New York also had three picks, teams that made the playoffs. And when you look at the, you know, Dallas had two first round and then an honorable mention, and we had a first round, a second round, and an honorable mention. Same thing for New York. So they even had better picks. Their three picks rank higher, so to speak, which is, yeah, it's it's surprising. And particularly the pick there that surprises me is is Sam Gala. Like, he's had a great season, don't get me wrong. Amazing rookie, rookie season. Um, it's fantastic what he's been able to do right out of college and the kids going places. But just just as a, a sort of theoretical, as a question, would you pick Sam Gala over Kyle Bailey? Like if you, or would you pick, or over Ben Grant on San Diego? Like if you, if it was like you get to bring in one lock to as an addition to your team halfway through the season are you going to bring in sam gala or are you going to bring in ben grant or nate Brakeley or uh den hoot from houston like i don't know i don't know that i would pick gala great player it's a great fun to watch yeah i love i love that argument i love that like one or the other type thing and i'm gonna um i'm gonna go with maybe i'll take the other side and maybe this is just maybe some some marketing mlr spin here in that Number one overall pick in the 2022 collegiate draft. Top American player coming out of the college rugby system. Had a, had a great rookie of the year. I think if you're MLR, 
I think he, Sam was worthy of the first 15. I'm not going to take that away from him at all. But I think there's also a little bit of marketing play here. We got to yeah. highlight some of the personalities. We got to demonstrate the pathway that is happening here that, um, that Sam, maybe that was some little extra consideration to get Sam in that pick. And I'm not against that at all because I think against Sam yeah. had a great season. Yeah, you but, can't complain um, too much. Where's the love for Colin? Where's the love for Colin? You know, <laughs> come on. Yeah, and it's just it's just one of. The, I mean, I think it's notable that the America's Rugby News sort of dream team first fifteen their own. They didn't do they didn't do it three levels deep like the MLR did, but you know, it's not. I think it's notable that they didn't include Sam Gala, um, and I think that's that's probably a bit more accurate. I mean, second team honorable mention. Yeah, that would make sense for me, but. Um, and I get him going over Kyle Bailey because he had a full season and Kyle Bailey didn't. But, yeah, I feel like if he wasn't a rookie and he wasn't a draft pick, like, I don't think there would have been quite the same. I think that I think that does weigh in a bit. Well, I'm glad you brought up America's Rugby News. And I like how Brian Ray and the squad there does their dream team. And it's just, as you mentioned, just 15 players. Um because that's a good segue for any Old Glory DC snubs. And I think you brought up one player. Any other players? And if you want to talk about the one player in particular, please. Yeah. So Lautaro Bavaro is probably the, the biggest snub. I mean, he's, he was voted like player of the year for Old Glory. And by the players themselves, he just absolute workhorse player. And one of those players who you can sort of understand how he would get off left off a list because he's is a much he's not as flashy a player as a, a lot of other players he doesn't say a lot or or make himself that known but he he really has such a an effect on the field that um i think he really deserved to be somewhere in the, those lists but also i mean there were a lot of great players there so you don't want to argue too much but but I think it's notable that he did make America's Rugby News their their first 15. Absolutely. One player that, that I'll bring up, and I talk about him every episode, is William Talataina. Again, I thought he had uh, a great season for Old Glory DC. Yes, I know there were some tremendous centers in MLR this year, but... I think he was worthy of at least an honorable mention nomination. He basically did everything for O'Glory in the back line there, whether it was distributing the ball, practically being a, a flanker, as you mentioned, I think, last episode at the goal line, pushing scrum halves out of the way that was unnecessary. I mean, he, he did it all, was not afraid to mix it up, thought he should have garnered a, at least an honorable mention nomination but was not the case. So I just want to make sure that everyone who's listening knows that I submitted his name, even though they rejected it because I was not an official voter. Um, I'm going to have to petition to try and be a voter for next year. I don't know who to reach out to, but anyway, enough about that. AKP, let's move on to the 2023 MLR Collegiate Draft. I don't know what it is about drafts but maybe just growing up with the NFL and you know NBA and NHL I just I'm, I just love the draft process and all of like the industrial complex that surrounds what the draft is from 
you know, the trading of the grading of the draft picks to the mock drafts, and I participate in that silliness too. I just love the process. It's just so much fun, and it's funny to see you keep hearing stories about how Super Rugby wants to implement some type of draft for this system because it is be, can become such a TV experience, right? Like the NFL, when you think of college drafts, they seem to just do it well. They go into one location. It's over three days. There's parties. There's festivals. You know, of course, they're drafting far more players, 250-some rugby right now. MLRs is doing three rounds, 39 players. But there's so much that you can build off the draft that I just have a lot of fun with it. I'd love to get your thoughts before we talk about the 2023 draft. Just your thoughts on a collegiate draft. Good, bad for MLR, good, bad for rugby. Is it too much of an American thing or is it just right for MLR? I, I don't have a problem with the draft in principle as as a, a thing. It's I think it's a little weird at the moment in MLR because what those other drafts have is large minimum guaranteed contracts if you get drafted they also have um collective bargaining agreements in place to to negotiate those sorts of things um and they're also there's also a lot more clarity around who's available for the draft because i mean when you look at the talent that comes into the mlr a bunch of it comes from overseas not even through the the u.s university system a bunch of it comes through clubs not through the the university system and then you also have a lot more coverage of other college sports i mean you know college basketball everyone knows who the names are who are there's plenty of footage for anyone in the draft there's no there's no players who you go uh what have they done are they any good whereas so mlr still has a way to go on that but i also don't mind the fake it till you make it nature of it it's not that hard to avoid the draft if you want to. You're not missing out on much. Like, if you really want to play for a particular team, you know, just skip the draft or, you know, don't sign with... Put yourself in the draft. Um, don't sign with whatever team and just move to that city and play club rugby until until you're available to get signed. So it's... I don't know that it's that much of a problem. Yeah, I think it's... I think... Um... If you look at what other leagues in the U.S. do in terms of filling, trying to fill out an entire calendar year, right? Like trying to stay in the conversation for an entire calendar year, right? We know that the NFL dominates sports coverage from basically mid-July when training camps start all the way through the end of the season, right? So the season ends with the Super Bowl in February seemingly two weeks later you have the nfl combine right so all the draft picks coming together seemingly two weeks after that is the official start of free agency so you see all the player moves and all that going on and then oh a month later you've got the nfl draft in april and then you've got mini camps in june and hey training camps come back in july right so you can see how the nfl it's figured out, hey, we've got to dominate coverage in the offseason or fans are going to turn their attention elsewhere. For a niche sport like Major League Rugby, the draft is, again, a marketing tool to have people talk about Major League Rugby and learn about some of these players after the season is over. I mean, we could, you can see the, the dip after MLR is over, right, where maybe coverage drops, there's less people doing podcasts, there's less stories out. 
hey, we need to have an event to get people talking about Major League Rugby and talking about the players a little bit more. And we need to schedule it in a time period where there's big international rugby going on, right? It's it's in that August, July test window, right before the Rugby World Cup, every four years. So, like, all of that, for me, makes sense for why the uh, a collegiate draft, even if some teams <laughs> essentially punt the, the draft because it's still, as you said, in its infancy, who are some of these players, but it, it needs to be built into a spectacle. It needs to be built into some type of event that people look forward to that. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's fun. I get us talking about it. I'm going to put out a silly mock draft where I try and make every single pick, and last year I got two picks right out of 36 or whatever it was, so I know I went off there on the soapbox, but I mean, I think that's fair, and I think it's good for the players, too. I mean, when you think about there are certain collegiate powerhouses where, you know, if you go to Lindenwood, yes, you're going to be able to get the attention of an MLR scout without too much problem. There's a lot of other schools around the place where they don't necessarily get the same level of attention, and I think having a clear pathway to the MLR, you know, you, you want to play professional rugby, you're not if you're not necessarily tied to going to a specific city you're not you know you don't necessarily care whether you stay local or whether you you go somewhere you just want a, a chance to play then you know the draft really provides a visibility into that you, you know you can put your name in and the the scouts will see your name they can look through your footage they can get in contact with you if they want to they there's so much it sort of opens that up and it also makes clear who's interested you know if if you don't enter the draft then people won't contact you but we've seen good players before in the who where people were thinking maybe they'll want to go maybe they won't and then they don't sign up for the draft and you can think okay <laughs> that takes someone off the table that's not someone we have to put a lot of effort into recruiting or trying to to get in contact with them and see what whether we want them or not and so it i think it helps teams too and in i've just said it's kind of weird because of the low information environment with college rugby where it's difficult to to watch games it's difficult to know who's good and who's not but this it it sort of helps that in its own way you get to see who's interested who think who's usually it's the best players on each team are the ones submitting for the the draft and so you get i think it gives a much better idea of of who actually might make it into the MLR. Yeah, and there's two different points I want to make. One, I think it's if this helps get more people excited in watching college rugby, then I'm all for it, right? Just because if I look at what college football has become and just how big of a business it is, how much media interest there is, like that's aspirational for college rugby here in the U.S. So let's, why not try and strive for that? And yes, I know there's issues and all that stuff, and I don't want to, you know, we can talk about that later. That's a different podcast. But if we can get more people interested in college rugby, if we can get more resources flowing into college rugby, where <clears throat> NCR and CRA and all that stuff gets figured out and college rugby becomes much bigger, more participants, more athletes, better athletes, I'm all for it, right? I'm all for it. And then, you know, if we're talking 2027, 2031, 2033, right, men's and women's college, right, the, the players who are going to be playing for the U.S. are going to be playing in those World Cup cycles are going to be coming through the high school college rugby program, domestic players, right? So let's funnel more resources. Let's get more people interested in college rugby. And then the other point I want to make is 
look, a draft system is a truly <laughs> American way of doing it, right? Like, I think that's a departure from what you see maybe overseas, you know, the academy-style system where players come up through the academy and, you know, you kind of have to learn about them over the years. And I think there's some excitement, as you said, about a player getting picked from a college and then going to a team. I think there's something fun in that. And, yes, I think union issues, CBA, all that stuff needs to be get figured out, and I think that's will happen down the line, right? I think all that is for the good of, of the sport, but I think there's something fun and entertaining that fans can get behind this process of every year. Hey, we, there, there's a fun way to get behind some of these players, and I know it's different from the academy system that they do overseas, and I'm okay with that because it's different, because it's something that a non-rugby fan here in the U.S. can understand pretty intuitively. Oh, I understand a draft process. It's like that in the NFL and NBA and others. So, yeah. yeah. And as we were talking about with Sam Gala being, you know, getting so much hype this year as a, a draft pick, that's good. I mean, would he have gotten that same hype if he'd just, you know, gone to the Dallas Academy, played in the Dallas Academy and then got called up? I mean, it still would have been a rookie year, but it, you know, the, the draft really gives some clarity around who's entering the league and, and gives some, you know, some new guys to focus on. Great points. So let's talk real quickly about the draft order. Three rounds, 39 uh, picks will be made. Miami has the Miami Sharks, the expansion team coming in in 2024. They've got the first pick in the first, second, and third rounds. Teams with the most picks include Utah, which is five, which seems interesting, right? Because they're looking for a new GM. And then Rugby ATL, they have five picks. That makes me a little bit nervous because there's concerns that Rugby ATL is for sale. Will they be around next season? That's got me uh, a, a little bit nervous. I don't think MLR would submit a draft order and show Rugby ATL <clears throat> if they were concerned that Rugby ATL was going to be around next year. I don't know if you've got thoughts on that, AKP, or if you want to if you want to touch that. I have a, I have a little bit of insight on that. I know that Atlanta's looking to sell. I know their current owners are are looking to get out of that, and so. If they can find it, if they can find buyers somewhere, the teams around next year. If they can't, maybe they put it on for another year and and see if they can keep it going until they find a buyer. But it it gets it gets suspect. Of note, Old Glory DC, who had five draft picks last year, and we'll talk about that in a second. I thought they had a pretty good draft. They have zero draft picks this year. AKP, let me ask you a question. Do you foresee Old Glory DC making some trades to get back into this year's draft? Or what are your thoughts there on what do you think they're thinking about? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether they do that. I mean, I think they're... So the reason we have zero draft picks this year is because we traded them away last year to get more picks in that draft. And, you know, that worked out well. We had a great draft, and so... That's why we probably won the draft last year. We were probably the best team that came out the most ahead with last year's draft. But that, it, and this is us paying for that now. I, I mean, in some ways, I think they're pretty happy with the depth of talent on the team. We could use some top end talent. I mean, we could use some 
some key players at key positions to really elevate the team to the next level. But I don't I don't know that we need to do a huge refresh of the the lower level talent on the team. The guys filling out the roster, which was not true last year. Last year we wanted to replace a bunch of those guys. We you know, we compl- made huge changes to our front row. We made huge changes to um flanker and to the wings and to a bunch of positions and so I, I but i don't know that we need that this year so i don't know if we really need that many draft picks i mean if there are a couple of players that we really really want but even then i mean you look at players last year that we grabbed um you know callie martinez was going to get taken by someone colin gross was going to get taken by someone jack manzo probably going to get taken by someone um and obviously ended up not even playing an MLR, and we got Koi Koi instead, who was drafted by someone. But, like, Mike Weir, Alex Baladeras, they might have been around at the end of the draft anyway. And so I think if we want, if we have some of those guys we've been working with who are maybe in the draft but not on a lot of teams' radars, we could just be hoping that they make it through the draft undrafted and we can just pick them up at the end. Yeah, it's interesting how teams strategize around the draft Particularly if you look at Old Glory DC, I would say maybe a mixed bag of results, right? If you look at 2021, um, not their best draft, right? I don't think there's any players from that draft class that are still with Old Glory DC, unless I'm wrong there. Nope. Uh, we, so 2020, we drafted two players. Casey Renault had a good season and and then left. Matthew Gordon didn't play in 2021, played in 2022, and then left. He's now at Dallas, actually. Sam Cassano, who we like picked up in the supplementary draft because he was originally going to play for Dallas, originally got drafted by them, but then they didn't play that year. He had a great season, then left. Demonte Noble, who we traded, was drafted by New York, but we traded for him, um, had a great season, and then left. Um, Koi Koi... Or LJ Koi Larby had a had one cap in 2022, and then he was gone. Palema Roberts got injured in the preseason, never got capped, isn't with the team anymore. So yeah, we have no player has no draftee has come back to Old Glory after being capped, and only Matthew Gordon stayed on a roster for more than one year. So I mean, hopefully that changes this year. I think we're going to keep Colin Gross around. I think we're going to keep Callie Martinez around. But it's it's notable that we have not had success until last year. Yeah, which which was made all last season surprising in my eyes that Old Glory DC would seemingly invest so much in last year's draft uh, with five picks. And I agree. I thought Old Glory DC had one of the better um, drafts last year. <laughs> in my draft grades, I gave Old Glory DC an A. And again, I think I wrote. They upgraded uh, the tight five beef because they did. I mean, look at their first three picks that they had, right? And, and um, you know, again, the, the trade to get Koi Koi because Jack Manzo decided to, I think, sit out because I think he's playing somewhere else. I imagine we'll probably see him back in MLR potentially this season. Not exactly sure, but... Yeah, I think he opted uh, for more college over, um, over playing in yeah. the MLR, but I can't quite remember. Yeah. But again, they they upgraded with some some key young talent and made an obvious impact uh, this season. 
and again, as you mentioned, they you know they had so many picks in the 2022 draft because they they uh, traded for this year's right. So again, they don't have any draft picks in this year's collegiate draft. I wouldn't necessarily count them out of maybe making a, a, a trade or two. There's as I mean, look, Atlanta has five. The Utah Warriors have five. Are they going to use all five of them there? I'm on record in saying I don't think the Miami Sharks are going to take that number one overall pick. I think they could potentially trade out of it. Why? I don't know. I think it's just how I envision they're going to put their roster together that um, I think we're going to – I just don't envision them using that number one overall pick, and I could see that potentially being uh, packaged up in some type of player trade. We'll see. Uh, I think that would be exciting. I don't know who it would go to. But, um, I mean, starting a new team like that, you really need experienced players to put together a a roster that's good from day one. You don't really... It's easier to take a, a talented but inexperienced draftee and integrate them into a good team than it is to take a a team that has has no structure, no experience, and like try and integrate these talented players who haven't played professionally before i mean we saw that with dallas they had some great draft draft picks but they they couldn't put together a complete team which which makes me a little bit nervous about guys like Furman martinez Furman martinez and marcos young whether or not and i gotta imagine they are on the radar for the miami sharks down there in the roster construction. There's local ties to the Miami, Florida area. Uh, just pure speculation, I got to imagine. You know, Ogilvy DC may be fielding some phone calls and some emails, just inquiring about them. So um, I don't know it could be <laughs> if you think they are untradeable or not. I mean, it's definitely a possibility that some interest might be coming in. I really hope we keep them. I like both of them. I mean, Fairman Martinez started every game for us until he got injured. Um, I'm on the record as thinking Marcos Young really ought to get called up to the Eagles because he's that good. So I don't know. I I would hate to see them go, but it's it's possible. And that's and again, that's why I think this whole draft process is exciting, particularly with the new team coming in. Is that there could be some major shakeups. Some players could be moving teams as we as we've seen already. Robbie Povey now in Toronto. So exciting things to watch, and we'll continue to talk about the MOR Collegiate Draft and any trades that come up. And, you know, we'll see how active Old Glory DC is in the offseason with, with trades um, and anything that may go on there. Again, great foundation after their first win in franchise history. But AKP, as we're closing out the episode, I usually ask you on the spot to come up, and this is on the spot, to ask you for your closing thoughts. I thought I might switch it up a little bit here and ask you, AKP, if you were Old Glory DC's GM, would you have drafted any other players differently last year? Or would you have kept all five? I mean, the obvious answer is Jack Manzo. Drafting someone else there. Um, You know, if we just drafted Koi Koi, then we wouldn't have had to trade for him but i mean other than that it seems like it was a really good draft i mean the only player on there who didn't play was baladares and that's understandable it takes props a moment to 
he's a he's a young prop and it takes them a moment to get in there so i yeah it's hard to argue with it i would i think i would have kept it good call yeah i think i think that i would have kept that too and again kudos to oakland dc for for drafting an american fly half mike ware did see the field against houston hope to see more development out of him and see how he factors into the mix for next season but for my co-host alistair kirsch pool who has committed to being here for each and every single episode particularly when he's <laughs> overseas in japan I'm John Fitzpatrick. You've been listening to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. We'll catch you next week.